Hey, Phil here. Just a few notes before we get started. Year three of The Wind has been made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to become a patron, head to patreon.com slash thewind and set up a monthly donation. The show also now has merch, including t-shirts, stickers, mystery cassette tapes, and more, which you can find at thewind.org slash store. And finally, make sure to subscribe on your podcast app. The wind. With Phil Corbett. On September 6th, 2018, a guy named Elon Musk appeared on a guy named Joe Rogan's podcast and smoked weed. Elon Musk is a billionaire and business mogul, Rogan, a former reality TV host, and now runs a popular podcast. Rogan has been embroiled in controversy for the past few years, for platforming and often passively agreeing with all types of dangerous ideas and general dweebs. And since writing this, Musk has also wrapped himself in a bunch of his own controversies, after buying Twitter.com. But this episode of Rogan's podcast, number 1169, was a whole controversy in itself, since the richest man in the world, a person who's supposed to be in charge of at least two multinational megacorporations, live on YouTube took a hit of a blunt. Soon thereafter, Musk's electric car company had a massive stock plummet, and his spaceship company was reportedly subject to a rigorous safety review from the U.S. government, who gives them a lot of money. Musk had to complete random drug tests for the following year. So anyway, that's the gist of it. I, like most people, I assume, had my own general ideas about these two very famous dudes, but to be honest, I had never actually listened to a whole episode of this podcast, let alone this episode, a piece of audio that became a total lightning rod in popular culture. So I decided to give it an actual and honest listen. <clears throat> Four, three... Two, one, boom. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, man. Really yeah. appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. It's very good to meet you. Nice, nice to meet you, too. From the beginning, it was deeply weird. Though at times intelligible and even interesting, the conversation was often simply neither. Um, so we started off with digging a hole in the ground. It's got like a permit for a pit, big pit, and just dug a big pit. And do you have to tell them what the pit's for, or you just say, hey, we just want to dig a hole? Nice, fill out this form. <coughs> That's it. Yeah, it was a pit in our parking okay, lot. Let me fast forward here. It's a hole in the ground. So then we got the permit for the pit, and we dug the pit. Uh, so we a little bit more. and dug this big pit, and, and, and we like showed Eric the pit. Like, obviously, it's just a pit. <laughs> But hey, it's hole in the ground is better than no hole in the ground. And what do you tell him about this pit? I mean, 
Did you say so this, this is, is the, the beginning of this idea? Yes. Where we're going to build tunnels under LA to help funnel traffic better. And they go, yes. and they just go, okay. That, but that we we've joked around about this in the podcast before. That like, what other person can go to the people that run the city and go, hey, uh, we're going to dig some holes on the ground and put some tunnels in there. And they go, oh yeah, okay. I play this long clip because this final point is the key to Rogan's interview approach. As an interviewer, he spends a lot of time laying praise on his guest. It is casual, reverential, and follows a structured narrative path. Rogan talks about a specific project. Then he says that Musk is uniquely and impressively creative or productive or smart. And then he moves on to the next project, asking a few surface-level questions in between. You have this radical sort of creativity engine when it comes to innovation and technology. With you, it seems like almost like there's a franticness to your creativity that comes out of this, this burning furnace. It's like you're just, you're going at a very high RPMs. All the time. What is that doesn't, like? It doesn't stop. It's just constant ideas, just bouncing around. Yes. Whew. Damn. Yeah. That's like some superhero type shit. Toward the middle of this long interview, I am surprised when I notice a sort of motivational self-help thing going on. And when I open the episode on YouTube, I see that the comments do reflect this notion. Viewers are inspired and want to know how they can be productive and smart and creative and brilliant, which vitamins they need, what sleep schedule... And when I scroll through the suggested videos along the sideboard, they, too, confirm this realization. I begin clicking. In one inspirational video, called Prove Them Wrong, from the channel Alpha Leaders, it opens with Musk crying on CBS News. 60 Minutes. Scott Pelley is reading him quotes from his spaceman heroes, like Neil Armstrong claiming that his ideas for commercial space travel and interplanetary colonization are a bad idea, or a waste of resources. At this point in the Alpha Leader's video, after Musk tears up, a montage ensues of uplifting music and Elon Musk quotes over stock footage of outer space and general business settings. This rabbit hole continues. Video after video of Musk beginning low, often starting at his self-proclaimed near-bankruptcy in 2008, and then a montage of his unlikely comeback to become the richest man on the planet that he wants to leave. And so can you. No matter where I looked, in the comments or in Joe Rogan's lines of questioning, this tone was dominant. A genius man with an unwavering plan achieved through sheer determination and wits and effort. If you try hard enough, you can become the richest man on earth, too. Time to pull yourself up with your own bare hands. How 
many times have you told yourself it's time to take a stand? Time to pull yourself up with your own bare hands and take command and take control. You don't have to tell me, I already know. Anything I say, you better think about it. Anything I think, you better do. Anything I think, you better think about it too. Because it's true. Because it's true, true. I was once like you. There is a man on the stage in a black suit coat. There's a PowerPoint presentation behind him, and he's holding a microphone, strutting across the stage, addressing the audience in song. This man is Corey Maccabee, and he is one of my favorite working artists. Corey is a filmmaker, a musician. And I'm a writer, and I do graphics and animation. If you can't make money at it, that's what I do. In 2015, he was booked to perform solo at a festival in Poland. So he decided to create an entirely new performance. So I wanted to create this body of of music that all worked together as like a, a seminar. Trust me, that's the way that it must be. If you want me to help you. Put your hand in mine and I'll help you find the way. Isn't that what you want me to say? Okay, it's true, I'm here to help you. Isn't that what you want me to say? Put your faith in me. Isn't that because that's how it say? has to be. The album and accompanying live performance is called Small Star Seminar, and Corey Maccabee traveled the world playing it as a sort of demotivational speaker. Believe in me, you have no reason to worry. Isn't that what you want me to say? If there's one thing that I've learned, Whenever you're concerned, follow the advice of an authority, and that's me. Trust me, because you know that it is the way that it must be, when everything is crumbled and it does be. And I was thinking, you know, all the, I was watching all these seminar guys, and all of them were saying, you can do anything you want. And I was like, no, you, you can't, actually. That's not true. And so I thought, all right, well, I'm going to say the opposite of that, you know. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, to one extreme, there are truths there that make it palatable and, and make, it, make it convincing. If you go to the far opposite extreme and hit the far opposite wall, there's truths there, too. And so... I went that route. I was, you know, basically saying, you're not capable of doing everything, and, you know, don't, don't worry about it. This authority figure on the stage is telling you in the audience that you cannot do everything, and that's okay. Don't shoot for the stars, he says. Explore the stars inside you already. The album offers this lovely counterpoint to the narrative trope of beginning low and rising to the top through sheer force. 
and it explores this whole landscape of delusional self-importance and pedestaling that fuel this type of thinking. If you were a bird and you could fly, it wouldn't matter until you couldn't. If you were a man like me and you could fly, you probably shouldn't. At first people would love you, but when they grew accustomed to what you could do, they would become jealous and despise you. You would end up walking alone, hoping no one would recognize you. The live format blended what you'd expect from a solo singer mixed with a motivational speaker. But as the performance began to evolve, the PowerPoint behind him became more prominent and started including not just lyrics, but also graphics and diagrams. And and all of it was about science. So I started doing science lectures uh, at the end of every show, just improv, (laughs) improv science lectures. And, uh, And that became its own thing, too. There's a man on the stage in a suit in front of a screen. And he's telling you to trust him. And why not? He is the one with the microphone, after all. The best time to quit is today. Don't pay attention to what other people say. They'll all be jealous when they see you walk away. You want to quit? Okay. I have a suggestion. And it is this. Ask yourself this question. The answer is yes. Ask yourself this question. When things get tough, ask yourself if you've done good enough. Yes! On September 6th, 2018, a guy named Elon Musk appeared on a guy named Joe Rogan's podcast. I had a dream once that there was a million Teslas instead of like one Tesla there was a million Teslas. Okay. Not Chesley the car, but Nikola. Oh, yeah, sure. And that in his day, there was a million people like him who were radically wow. innovative. It was a weird dream, man. In the YouTube video stream, you can see that Musk is wearing a t-shirt that says, Occupy Mars. Musk has been talking about colonizing the Red Planet for years. In a suit on a stage in front of a PowerPoint on social media, and, of course, on podcasts. In 2019, he appeared on a show called the Lex Friedman Podcast. While talking about space travel, he begins to read this famous piece by astronomer, educator, philosopher Carl Sagan. The piece he reads is called Pale Blue Dot, and you might be familiar with it. It is something that Sagan wrote about this now-famous photograph of Earth as a tiny speck in the distance. The picture was taken by Voyager as it sped away from Earth, 
and it turned backward to take a sort of selfie of us. It shows our planet small and barely visible, suspended in a beam of sunlight. Musk begins to read this piece. Channeling calls again. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love. Everyone, everyone you know. Everyone, everyone you, you ever, ever heard of. Every, every human being, human who, ever being was, who ever was. Lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering. Thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every hunter and forager. Every hero and coward. Every creator and destroyer of civilization. Every king and peasant. Every young couple in love. Every mother and father. Hopeful child. Inventor and explorer. Every teacher of morals. Every corrupt politician. Every superstar. Every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species, lived there, on a mote of dust, suspended in a sunbeam. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings. How eager they are to kill one another. How fervent their hatreds, our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The Earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere, there is nowhere else, else, at, at least, least in the, the near future, to which our species could migrate. This is not true. <laughs> this is false. Mars. And I think Carl Sagan would agree with that. He couldn't even imagine it at that time. So thank you for making the world dream. That'd be the craziest place ever if we colonized Mars and re-terraformed it and turned it into like a big Jamaica. <laughs> Just I think oceans we should. and I think that'd, that'd be, be I mean, imagine great. There is, that'd be great. It's potential. There's it's amazing, possible, right? We yes. could turn the whole thing into Cancun. <laughs> well, I mean, over time, it wouldn't be easy, but yes, right. It's you could just warm, you could warm it up. Yeah, you could warm, can warm it, up. it up. You could add air. You could get some water there. We could be a multi-planet species. Yeah, that would be amazing. Be a if multi-planet species. That's what we want to be. Legitimately, like air-conditioned Saturn. I'm pro-human. Me too. Now, as we've mentioned, the reason people are talking about moving to another planet is because our planet's health is on the decline. 
An equivalent scenario would be divorcing an injured spouse to marry a corpse with the hopes of resurrecting the less familiar and more exotic of the two. That last point was from Corey McAbee, who is one of my favorite working artists. At the end of his demotivational speeches, his improvised science lectures began to grow and play with a couple of names. First was Deep Astronomy and the Romantic Sciences. And within that story, there was this thing, the Red Planet Planning Commission. Hello, my name is Corey McAbee. I am normal. I hope you are, too because the ideas I would like to share with you are not normal, but with your help they can be. This voice is from a video for the Red Planet Planning Commission, which Corey spun off from these improv science lectures. The Red Planet Planning Commission lays out a new way to think of Martian colonization. According to the actions of those currently involved in Mars exploration and research, we should send robots first, people second, and then introduce lesser life forms to create a limited food chain. That's the exact opposite of how things worked here on Earth. A vast food chain developed, humans arrived late in the game and then we made robots. We are addressing Mars in reverse. So the idea is, you know, it's cheaper to send human compost to Mars than it is to send people. And to create the terraforming process that way first. And also sending cockroaches to be our... our, uh, little ambassadors. While researching Abraham Lincoln's embalmer, Corey Maccabee became fascinated with contemporary funeral practices. And as he began digging into this world, he found life. And as I was writing it, people started sending me information that composting, um, actually recently, like I guess maybe within the past year, has become legal in Washington state. And there's a woman named uh, Katrina Spade who's opened up a uh, human composting facility. During the American Civil War, the way we buried our dead changed dramatically. It shifted from this intimate and spiritual and deeply difficult physical, emotional process taken on by the family of the deceased to a much more transactional and chemical one. Before the Civil War, chemical embalming was seen as foreign. It was viewed as another disrespectful act committed by the French. It became acceptable as a way of returning dead soldiers to their families because trains would not ship rotting corpses, and there were a lot of them. By the end of the Civil War, in 1864, chemical embalming was considered normal. In our culture, there are currently two dominant options for the disposal of your body after you've died. Conventional burial and cremation. I could offer you information about the environmentally devastating effects of cremations and traditional burials, but I won't because it is boring and unpleasant. But there are alternatives. Many fall under the umbrella term of green burial. In recent years, we've seen the spread of conservation cemeteries which are large plots of land, usually under a conservation easement, where bodies can be buried without embalming in organic caskets made of wood, woven willow, or a fabric shroud. And the body's nutrients are then reabsorbed 
into the ecosystem. Another option under the green burial umbrella is human composting. I know that the concept of human composting is disgusting to some of you. That's because it is new. A newborn baby is also disgusting, but we learn to love them and that's how our species has been able to survive. If we are going to survive we need to find the beauty in new practices and new ideas. This is about a month-long process above ground, in which your body is wrapped in organic materials and goes through the process of rapid decomposition at a facility. What is left is a large amount of compost, which can be safely spread wherever the family sees fit. Out of the mud grows the lotus. Be the mud and let the future shine. It will never be your time. On September 6, 2018, a guy named Elon Musk appeared on a guy named Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot of dead horses. and You need a horse to move the horse. Right. And they'll probably get pretty, pretty freaked out if they have to move a dead horse. Do you think they know what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be like, pretty weird. <laughs> like, no, I would imagine. Why am I dragging this dead you know, horse around? And I'm a horse. Do, my, you, do you, know, you ever like stop? It. And think about your role in civilization. The actual weed smoking happens about two hours into the show. Try to put a joint in there, close it. You put like one, one blunt. It's anticlimactic. Rogan pulls out a blunt, takes a couple of hits, passes it to Musk, who takes one hit, and they keep talking. It's um, marijuana inside of uh, tobacco. Okay, so it's like posh pot tobacco posh. You never had that? Yeah, I think I tried one once. Come on, man. I mean, just think of the, the, the various things you've been able to accomplish in a very short amount of time. And you're constantly doing this. That's a weird, you're a weird person, right? I, I agree. Yeah. Like, what if there's a million Elon Musks? Well, that would be very, Ooh. very weird. Woo. Yeah, that'd be pretty weird. I agree. Real weird. The ecosystem of motivational Elon Musk videos and comments follow a predictable and familiar narrative path. It's the trajectory of a rocket shooting into the sky, a direct climb powered by work ethic, risk, determination, and uniqueness. You either fly or you're actively choosing not to. You either dream to colonize another planet or you're stuck for life on lowly Earth. Musk's argument for colonizing Mars 
which he's been repeating for about two decades now, seems to consistently assert this binary claim, that there are only two possible human futures. I think that a future where we are a spacefaring civilization and out there among the stars, this is very exciting. This makes me look forward to the future. This makes me want that future. Whereas if, if you knew we would not be a spacefaring civilization but forever confined to Earth, this would not be a good future. That would be very sad, I think. In every imagined future, Musk is moving in a straight line, progress and innovation, self-improvement and motivation, a rocket ship pointed at another planet. You are a butterfly. You are a butterfly. That is why, that is why the laws of nature don't apply to you. Ask any chrysalis you happen to see. What's the best time to emerge from a cocoon? Never too soon. becomes the caterpillar. The caterpillar becomes the chrysalis. Corey Maccabee is one of my favorite working artists. And every time he goes for a bike ride, I get an email. For about a year, it was mostly around New York City. I'd get a little map of his route around Staten Island, or a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge or the Statue of Liberty. Once, I got an email that he had ridden his bike to Houdini's grave. But Starting at the end of summer, I began to get daily emails. Corey, according to the maps, was on a path south. He was riding his bike from Maine toward Florida. On this ride, Corey would trace the migration path of the monarch butterfly. I'm also going to be stopping and visiting a couple of green burial grounds that have been participating in our project on the on the way. Um... A few years ago, I, I, I followed the monarch butterfly migration path from Chicago down into Michoacan, Mexico, uh, with a German documentary team. So I've already made the trip once. You know, I'm excited to do it again. The project I want to talk about, the reason I brought you here today in the first place, is called I Butterfly. It is an outgrowth of the Red Planet Planning Commission, where Corey began drawing parallels between sending human compost to Mars and what we're currently doing here on Earth. The, the whole Mars thing is, um, it, it's, it's kind of the, uh, the Flintstone figure being carved into a vitamin. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun, enjoyable packaging that's, it's a conversation. But, but while we're having that conversation, there's practical things that mirror the conversation for terraforming Mars that are happening on Earth, like um, green burial and butterfly restoration. People don't like to talk about dead butterflies for very long. You know, they, they will talk about it for a while, but, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty small community that can talk about it at length. And the same with green burial. Like, I, I, I started learning about green burial when I was... Uh, studying Abraham Lincoln's funeral. And 
finding the history of embalming in America and and seeing where it's it's gotten to. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty weird. And and you know, people don't like to talk about cemeteries and funerals and things like that. I mean, some people do, but you know, it's not everybody does. So to talk about Mars instead, and to talk about you know different aspects like somewhat cartoonish aspects but not impossible aspects of of terraforming mars and using that as a as a metaphor for these other things and 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 bringing yourself back around to these other things due to climate change and the eradication of their habitats monarch butterfly populations appear to be in serious decline more on that in upcoming episodes of the wind Corey's project, I Butterfly, encouraged people to ride bikes along monarch migration paths in their own region and to stop to plant native species of milkweed, which are a necessary species for the survival of monarchs. In advance of his bike ride, Corey began calling natural burial grounds and conservation cemeteries across the eastern U.S., encouraging them to plant milkweed for these little winged travelers. I'm really I'm really curious about planting milkweed specifically in green burial grounds. What is that is that simply a choice that, you know, there is these like patches of grass that can sustain milkweed and therefore sustain monarch butterflies. Is it simply, you know, practical or is there some sort of metaphorical value in choosing cemeteries to try to save life well everything you just said <laughs> yes um but uh there's a, there's a few things one is that people don't realize like like there's this one uh conservation cemetery it's beautiful beautiful place and it's all natural and it's preserved land but they didn't realize that they had used for a long time a uh, or people previous had used a weed killer and killed off all the milkweed. And so they were really thrilled to hear about this and to, you know, start ordering milkweed and putting it back in their property. For one reason is it's it's organic, it's native to the area. But the thing that you can really count on with this, I mean, you know, will green cemeteries preserve na- nature? Hopefully, it seems likely. You know, will we be able to help bolster the monarch butterfly population. We we certainly hope so. But the one thing that you can count on is if there is an influx in monarch butterflies in funerals that, you know, the bereaved at a very difficult time will have a, a beautiful visit, you know, something from nature coming and landing uh, at, at their cer- ceremonies. And I know this to have an effect because I've known a few different people who, after a friend's funeral or a family member's funeral, loved one's funeral, they'll go, did you see that butterfly that landed? You know, like everybody's talking about a butterfly that landed on the tombstone. And when I mention that to people, they'll go, actually, do you remember at my uncle's, there was that butterfly that came or, you know, or, or a bird, but usually they'll, they'll talk about butterflies. So I thought, well, this will be a nice gift. I mean, do you think there's something specific about butterflies that helps bring joy? Is it just the the color and the way they move, or what do you what do you think it is? I don't know. I mean, they're you know they're they're a bunch of freaks. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Yeah, they're, the, the monarch butterflies. They're, they're, the more I learn about them, the weirder and weirder they are. Like, um, how so? Well, when they when they when they turn into a chrysalis, you know, you you always think about the caterpillar weaving a cocoon around itself. They don't. They just hang upside down in a J shape for a couple of days, and then suddenly, blap! Their skin pops off, and they become this beautiful green chrysalis with what looks like golden jewels all around in a hmm. half circle. And so then they hang there for a while, and then they become a butterfly. But what it is, it's it's like their inner skin and liquid DNA. It's just green snot in a little bag. But the thing is that liquid DNA, even though it doesn't have like a brain stem or, you know, anything, it retains memory. They've done experiments where they will frighten uh, a caterpillar in an unnatural way. And then when it becomes a butterfly, it's like a sound or something. When it becomes a butterfly, it'll they'll be the only butterflies that respond with fear to whatever it was that they were conditioned for as a caterpillar. But it's that transformation of memory is just in a, a bag of fluid. The path of the butterfly is not a straight line, but a complex cycle. Within just one migration between the northern parts of our continent and the state of Michoacan in Mexico, four generations of butterfly will live, migrate, give birth, and die, while their young continue the journey. They follow a map somehow ingrained, and they continue this cycle over and over and over and over and over and over, north, south, life, death, constant circular movement, over and over and over and over, complex layers fluttering in the changing wind. With Eye Butterfly, Corey aims to embody just a touch of this cycle and to draw the narrative parallels between these complex cyclical layers and human culture. Life, death, Martian colonization, bicycles, green burial. Well, it's also lovely for, you know, for their uh, their businesses, you know, when you own a cemetery, to think that there's going to be a bunch of butterflies. Hmm. You know, I mean, what what could be more perfect than that? Integrating organic burial practices in support of wildlife is what we hope to achieve on Mars. Let's do it here first. My name is Corey Maccabee. I am normal and I will use it to all of our advantage. Thank you again. Good night. Great. Well, in the meantime, kiss everybody in Nevada for me. In fall, Corey successfully completed his bike ride from Maine to Florida. We can change the way we listen. We can reject the lazy shorthand and established narrative paths which use centuries or millennia of cultural embedding to bypass our critical abilities. If we stop to hear what people are actually saying, maybe we can pause the momentum and create new narrative paths. As I do that, I find the new way is usually not a straight line away from Earth, but a line incomprehensibly complex, branching and weaving like the roots of an aspen grove, interconnected, cyclical, 
and reaching for the nutrients within that, as far as I know, are only available here on Earth. To make the same mistakes again Time To do it all exactly the same again It's time Red planet, blue planet by me, Phil Corbett. This season was produced with support from the Google Podcast Creator Program through PRX and our patrons. If you want to support the show, head to patreon.com slash thewind or click the link on the website. Set up a monthly donation and help keep this thing going. Thank you to Corey Maccabee for speaking with me for this episode, and to Lori Leonard of the River Fork Ranch Preserve, Katrina Spade, and John Christian Pfeiffer of the Conservation Burial Alliance. For more information on iButterfly and the Red Planet Planning Commission, along with links, photos, live show calendar, merch, and more, visit thewind.org. The music in this episode was almost entirely by Corey Maccabee. Most of it was from his album Small Star Seminar, plus Mars, which was from his film, a space western called Stingray Sam. The piece I played under Carl Sagan was an altered version of The Magic Flute by Mozart. The original was included by Sagan on the Golden Record, a collection of music that was on Voyager when it took that picture of our pale blue home. Finally, this song, Wedding of the Winds, is from the public domain. Make sure to subscribe on your podcast app, and the best way to get the word out is to share an episode with a friend. 
Thank you for being here, and keep listening.